the Canadian division is filled with pure chaos. We are seeing a lot of changes, but we need to ask what is leading to this shift in power and will it continue? Episode 259, the Lace Them Up podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Tuboff. We will talk plenty about the Canadian division, but first we're going to go to the other divisions because uh, we do have uh, some news that you need to know, starting off with everyone's favorite hockey player, Brad Tom Wilson. Yeah. Um, this time it's personal for me. Um, but yeah, I've, I've always been like a... So I don't want to say supporter, but I've always been like, uh, well, he's kind of like Brad Marchand because it's like at least he's skilled and yeah, he has those dirty hits every now and then. But uh, when it happens to your team, it's it's a little different because it's like, oh god, like this is this guy's more of a Matt Cook than a Tom, like a Brad Marchand um, because like he was perfect. Anyways, um, I'll <laughs> I'm say I'll save my rant for a little bit. Later, yeah, tell us what happened first before you go into your rant. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say. Um, so, so Tom Wilson gets suspended for seven games on his hit or quote-unquote boarding hit. That, according to the NHL, was a boarding hit, even though it was a hit to the head um, on Brandon Carlo. Brandon Carlo had to go to the hospital. Um, it appears that he's doing better now, but um, obviously it's going to take a while till he gets back on the ice again. Um, and not to mention the Bruins um, already are not doing well with the defenseman stuff. Um, like, I think we have a couple of other defenseman injuries as well. Not to mention we don't have Tory Krug or uh, Zidane O'Chara anymore. So <laughs> those guys would help out. But um, at least... You know, we see more of Urho, Vakaninen, and all that stuff. So, uh, hopefully, uh, Brandon Carlo will uh, get back to his usual self when he's ready. But um, it just stinks that it had happened. I think the thing that I'm more angry about is the fact that the refs didn't call it. Like, they they didn't even call it, um, which is absolutely nuts. Um, Like, I can kind of forgive sort of forgive what they did uh, the last game against Washington when Ovechkin uh, speared uh, Trent Frederick in the balls. Um, I can, like, I don't know, it, it seems a little crazy, but whatever. And that's another thing where, where I could have another rant on that, that end too, where it's just like, that one wasn't called. But like, like, Tom Wilson was, like, preparing to kill this guy. Like, he almost did, really, too. He almost knocked uh, Brandon Carlo, um head off. And then, uh, and then to further the fact that, like, Jacob Vo- uh, Verana, like, also, like, beat Brandon Carlo when he was down on the ground. That's also a scumbag move. No one's talking about that, that Jacob Verana is also a scumbag. But the fact that, like, Thomas... Tom, Thomas Wilson, whatever, <laughs> um, he, like, literally, like, he's he's being, like, a predatory hit, and um, 
I just don't understand why that wasn't called. Like, even if it was a two-minute penalty, I would have been okay with that. He should have been, like, he should. they should have been called. It's just, like, the Capitals get away with everything. It's just, it's just absolutely insane. Um, as for the seven games, I guess it's better than nothing, but um, just the, like, I don't know. Like, I guess, technically, um, if this was an 80, like, if you rounded out i think like if it was an 82 schedule this would be the equivalent of like a 10 game suspension um so like seven games is a roughly around what a 10 game suspension would be on a regular season um but that's that's insane it's just insane to me that like i think the other thing that's kind of crazy is that tom wilson the last time tom wilson was suspended was um against oscar sunquist on a preseason game and he was out half the year. Um, and I guess the only reason... So, like, he is a repeat offender. But the only reason why it's seven games or, you know, ten games is because he... Like, that happened two years ago. And I guess it, like, washes off if you if you haven't done... If you've been innocent for the last two years. And clearly, Tom Wilson hasn't even learned shit. During those two years, I part of my language. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, also to add to your point, that was what they got Tom Wilson on for like twenty games, which was reduced to fourteen. I think people also forget about that. That's that's true too. Um, That was for a check to the head. This was for boarding. Yeah. If this was a check to the head, I'm I'm thinking twenty to thirty games here. I mean, it was a check to the head. Literally, yeah. You should get like twenty to thirty games. Yeah. For if this was a check to the head, I feel yeah. like, and the fact that they were looking at boarding is why it was only seven games. They're just like, what? Well, Tom Wilson would probably use the argument, "Well, you're suspending me for thirty games, but yeah. like the last one was check the head. This for boarding, this is totally different. Like, why yeah. are you suspending me for that? I'm going to appeal. Screw right. you." <laughs> so I, I feel like that's why it was, that's why um, the re- that was the reason behind the length of the suspension. Either way, it still doesn't cut it because you're right. Tom Wilson still hasn't learned his lesson. And at th- at this point, like, how many times is this going to happen yep. before, A, he wises up, or, B, player safety is just like, we've had enough, you're getting it. Yeah, yeah. It's just, I think, like, you know, I think what the whole purpose of suspending this person is, like, you know, like, to make them learn a lesson. But clearly, he hasn't. You can like you know you can suspend him all you want. He's he's always gonna hit. He's always gonna be this dangerous player, um, and he's always gonna hit ahead. He's always he he's never gonna learn. And like I want him out. No matter how good he is, I actually dropped him on my fantasy team. No matter how good he is, like you can't have that. You can't have that in this league. I it's just it's absolute. He's a scumbag. He's on the level of like. Um, on Matt Cook in my mind right now. It's just he like, be, yeah. He could be the Rafi Torres. And yeah. people forget, Rafi Torres, for whatever reason, was a top five pick. Yeah. And this guy has some skill to him, just like Rafi Torres did. But those risky plays ruined Rafi Torres, and so did injuries. Yeah. But the, the risky plays burned Rafi Torres' reputation is to the reins, and it's going to happen with Tom Wilson mm-hmm. if this keeps up, like I said. And also to add another thing with the with the Tom Wilson stuff, I, I, I just, 
I, I just think that we're, we're at a situation where, and, and it's been like this for years, I feel like, especially this year where, like, the refs get it right, then player safety gets a hold of it, and then maybe they give the maximum fine and they don't really, mm-hmm. like, give, like, the player like a significant suspension they just give him a little love tap or whatever just like here's here's a 2k fine just just pay it off and right well, well that's the last we'll speak of this and i i, I feel like you are opening the invitation for like chaotic scenes yeah. on the ice, which is what the nhl is trying to avoid yeah players will take matters into their own hands if the league doesn't and that's what safety needs to play a pivotal role and step the heck up or else you will see vancouver versus colorado you will see a bertuzzi 2.0 if this gets escalated even further it may not be the caps or the bruins it could be something completely completely different and and it's like the whole point of player safety is to keep everyone in line and and the suspensions, the punishments need to fit the crime. And I feel there's been a discrepancy in what the refs see and what player yeah. safety sees. And you really need to set that standard, that fine line, to be consistent to the letter as possible, or else you're going to get these discrepancies happening every single time. And there's just going to be no trust between the players and Department of Player Safety. Right. And that's how you're going to get chaotic bench clearing brawls or something to that effect i mean that's what happens when you have an an enforcer as the head of player safety right now um also um to your point uh, what ended up happening was the bruins used this as motivation um jared tenardi uh fought tom wilson almost right after or like you know in the next period because i think this happened in the end of the first period um, so Tenardi fought Tom Wilson in the second period, and then the Bruins immediately score. Patrice Bergeron scores. He taps, he uh, claps the bench, and then he goes over to the penalty box and taps Tenardi to say that, "Oh, you're, you know, you, that's our guy." Um, which is also funny too, because uh, I don't know if you realize this, or I, di- I didn't tell you this, but uh, Jared Tenardi he uh, drove from Nashville to Boston, which is like maybe like a 20, uh, 20 hour trip. And I heard it was, I, I heard it was 17 hours over yeah. two days. So he took, uh, because if he took the plane, he'd have to quarantine. So that, so that means that, yeah, it, it took him a long time. He literally drove from Nashville to Boston, which is a very, very long trip for anyone in Canada or doesn't know geography. Um, and, uh, so he literally drove to Boston just to beat up Tom Wilson, um, which is um, awesome. But anyways, Patrice Bergeron, that's captain material with, um, or like, you know, he just tapping Jared Tenardi, which also gets me to my other point is uh, the former uh, Boston Bruins captain, Sedan Chara, he's on the Capitals right now. And Brandon Carlo was a, um, like he was a, you know, a mentee of Sedan Chara. Um, and they were on the D pair a lot, like they were the the pairing. Um, and I I don't know how Char is feeling right now because like like you have your new teammate who just killed his like his protege. Um, and um, I don't know. I I want Zidane. Like I feel like the Capitals should be like, all right, let's um, 
Let's, uh, you know, let's just give Zane Ochara back to the Bruins. I think it's only fair. Um. <laughs> yeah, like, and, and to add to the, the comment yeah. about the capital stuff and their stance on this, I heard Laviolette's comments. I'm just thinking, right. this is so hypocritical because he would be jumping up and screaming for yep. a penalty for a suspension, um, calling for an investigation Yep. if he was coaching the Bruins. Yep. It, right. When it happens to you, you would be you would be kicking up a storm. You would be yelling at the top of your lungs from the bench at the refs and all this. And and he's he's just I don't know if he's acting like nothing happened, but def- defending his guy. Yeah. Like he's not turning against his own player. Why would he do that? It's no. like he's he's the coach of the Capitals, not the Bruins. Right. But I I just find it so hypocritical that when you see something so blatantly dumb like Bennington with the Blues or whatever. Uh, last week, where Bennington is just so pissed that he's getting pulled, he punches yeah. three shots, almost starts a goalie fight, and and the coach Craig Brube is just like, oh, he's trying to fire up the guys. I'm just like, I don't know, a fiery pep talk on yep. the bench if you walk out would be better instead of I don't know punching three guys and not getting any suspension because right. your night's over anyway. Right. Like, <clears throat> it's just so it's just so asinine. Yeah. So according to Laviolette, he says. I just want to quote it. Um, I was about to get to that, too. Um, he says, I mean, to me, it was a hockey hit. If this is a suspendable play, then all hitting really is going to probably have to be removed because he didn't take any strides. He didn't target the head. Blah, 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 blah. Um, also, Ovechkin says that, like, this is ridiculous that he gets seven games. It's a, um, like, he shouldn't have, it, it shouldn't have been two minutes. It shouldn't even have been a penalty. TJ Oshie also defended saying like he he gets these hits all the time. It's like, you know, no you don't TJ Oshie. Also, like I can understand teammates and the coach trying to defend their guy, but it's just like it's absolute you're right. It's it's totally hypocritical. And also not to, going back to the Alex Ovechkin spearing per, someone in the nuts. If um Brad Marchand speared some uh, a teammate or a, an opponent in the nuts, he would be like out of the league. It's oh, like a thousand percent. If yeah. this was Brad Marchand too, yeah. the Caps would be irate. I know, and so so it's just it's absolutely ridiculous that they're like they're saying like, oh, we're the innocent one, we're the victim. It's like, no, you aren't. The, uh, literally, Brandon Carlos in the fucking hospital because of Tom Wilson. Like, yeah, like <laughs> if, if you were if you were asked and you're just yeah. like, I'm not going to comment on this situation. Yeah, just like okay, fine. That's better than saying what you yeah. just said. And also, like, the refs, like, didn't call either of those plays. Like, what the hell are they watching? Like, they, they were watching the exact opposite play. I, I, that, that also, that part also annoyed me. Is that the, I feel like the refs should also be held accountable, too. They should have, like, this was a seven-game suspension of Tom Wilson. It wasn't even called. Like, it wasn't even called anything. On, on the play, like, and, and also the Ovechkin stuff, that wasn't called either. Uh, so it's just, um, you know, it, it's just hypocritical, and the capital, I might hate the Capitals more than the Montreal Canadiens because of the shit that they're pulling right now. It's just, and I mean, like, there's there's also a part of me in my head, I'm just thinking, are, is the player's safety just making up for the stuff that the refs miss? Yep. Where, like, if the refs get right, it's just like, ah, oh, the refs took care of it, there's yep. nothing to see, or we'll slap a fine, and, and it's even... Yeah. If if it's warranty of a suspension, suspend the guy. I yeah. don't care. And I I think like I mean obviously I don't have any proof of this, but I think Tom Wilson was 
like being that predatory towards uh, Brandon Carlo because he knew that the refs weren't going to call it because of how they treated Ovechkin. Like yeah. <laughs> he knew, he knew that he could get away with it, and he did because they weren't penalized. But yes, he should be. He was suspended and all that stuff. Um, yeah. So. Anyways, yeah. Anyways. Uh, we we do we do want to get to <laughs> the meat of the topic, but yeah, we do course. have a, a couple of other things. Yeah, right, we have Brett? we have one more thing. You're right. I we should get on with our. <laughs> Thanks <laughs> is, for keeping me. It is me an saying. important subject. No, 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 no. You're you're right. You're right. Uh, when you're right, you're right. Um, so we also have uh, Shester, um, in also in the East Division, Shesterkin. Uh, he was limping, um, and could barely put his weight on his right leg. Um, in, uh, on, after Thursday's game, um, David Quinn says that it's unclear how long he'll be out, but like he's officially day to day with a mild growing strain, but I'd imagine it's going to be long-term if the fact that like you can't put weight on your right leg just shows that it's, it's going to be a while for Shesterkin to continue. But the interesting thing about the Rangers, they're actually <laughs> doing really well and they don't even have Panarin either. Um, like, uh, Chris Kreider had back-to-back hat-tricks. Uh, Pavel Bujnevich has, like, two, uh, four points in three games or something like that. Um, um, also, Ryan Strom's picked it up. Um, just, like, it's kind of crazy that even without Chesterkin and Panarin, um, and Zibanejad hasn't been up to what we're expecting him, I'm underperformed, as you would say. Um, the Rangers are still like they're they're, they're doing well, which is kind of crazy. Um, so so yeah, good for them that they're at least um, not making this or they're trying to put in some effort here. Um, of course, they did beat the Devils and the Sabers, so like you know, take that with a grain of salt. But um, still, it's it's impressive that they're able to do this without like two of their best players. And you do allude to the Sabres. Um, all I will say is keep a close eye on this because uh, we talked about um, yep. when the Patrick Blanick trade happened that Columbus would be the biggest circus. I think Buffalo is about to overtake them. Maybe they already have. Yeah, I think um, they have. <laughs> things, things are going a little bit sour. Yep. The GM's not happy and all options are being evaluated. So uh, if you want some good entertainment – about a team crumbling before your eyes, uh, follow the Buffalo Sabres religiously for the next little bit because uh, if they continue to struggle, things can get really interesting. Yep. Yeah. Um, so what are you... Um, so I guess... Yeah, I just wanted to mention the Rangers just because of the fact that they don't mm-hmm. have Panarin and Shesterkin now uh, for a while. Um, yeah, just what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so... The, the Panarin thing is interesting because they're getting contributions from Adam Fox. He had this great end-to-end goal against um, the say, um Who was it uh, yesterday that um, the Rangers played? Whoever the Rangers played um, on uh, on Saturday. I think it was the Devils yeah, it was again. The Devils. Yeah, it was the Devils again. Um, but he had this great end-to-end goal. Uh, Ryan Stroms picked it up. Chris Kreider has... Two hat tricks this year, I think. Yep. Um, and two, and both are in the past couple of weeks. He's been really hot. Um, Butchnevich, as you said, is has really been impressive. Lafreniere starting to pick it up, which is good overall. Yep. Um, the fact Beedle that they have well. Georgiev in the mix as well is yep. good. 
Um, I, I feel I feel like um, even even and they're doing this even with Sabanajad still struggling to find his groove. Like he was arguably their their number one lethal threat when it came to scoring goals in the playoffs. He was good in the regular season before he got hurt. He was pretty good as well. Um, it, before the pandemic hit as well, he was good. So I I, I feel like if, if the Rangers can get him going as well. And, and get fully healthy and maybe get Panarin back at some point. And Shazurkin continues to play well. Because prior to that, even though the record doesn't indicate, Shazurkin was putting up good numbers for the Rangers, too. They just weren't getting the goals. If right. they if they score like this every single night against the top teams in their division, they could make a serious charge for a top-four spot. Um, but they still have a long way to go. So it's it's good that they're starting to get things going. Um, but they can't stop now. They need to keep going. Yep. So yeah, that's true. Um, I am curious to see how, like, how much they can get this going, because um, they, they all, like, even though they don't have their two best players, it's, it's, it's going to be kind of fascinating to see that the oh somehow they're still scoring and still, uh, getting goaltending. Um, so that's that's good to hear at least. Um, yeah. So. Uh, so yeah, our main topic here is pretty much that the Canadian division has been absolutely crazy, uh, wild this year. Um, a lot of that has to do with the fact, well, I mean, we'll get into it eventually, but a lot of it has to do with the fact that like a lot of their teams have strong offense, but not so great defense, um, or goaltending. Um, we'll get into the coaches, the coaches being fired too. Um, but I do want to point out that just to show you how ridiculous the Canadian division is. Uh, first off, um, the if you look at the points lead right now, uh, you'll see Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, Matt Mitchell Marner, Mark Scheifele, Brock Besser. Um, there's another one, too, that I'm blanking on. Uh, Nikolai Ehlers, Kyle Connor, uh, Blake Wheeler, uh JT Miller, Johnny Gaudreau, Quinn Hughes is the top defenseman in points right now. Um, you know, uh, Tyler Toffoli's third in the league in goal in goals. The top two, three are McDavid, Matthews, and Toffoli. Uh, Brock Besser is close as well. Um, and yeah, so. So the fact that like there's a ton of Canadian players at the top of this list, obviously a couple of those guys aren't from Canada, but you get what I mean. Um, and also, um, if you look at the standings and the goals for top ten, uh, top ten league um, teams uh, for goals for uh, Toronto, Edmonton, top the list here. Um, then you have Vancouver, who's at five. Winnipeg, who's at six, and then you have Montreal, who's at nine. Um, so that's five Canadian teams in um, in ten um, in the top ten for goals for, which is pretty nuts because there's seven teams in the league. Speaking of which, I also like tried to look at. I literally went through the top 100 point getters, and I just picked out all the. Um, Canadian play, you know, all the can teams in the Canadian divisions players. And, uh, I found there was 28, uh, players in the top a hundred 
of points. And um, that's impressive. I mean, it is a quarter, that's basically a quarter of the, of the league, um, of the points lead leaderboard is, um, is in the Canadian division, which is impressive when you consider the fact that that's seven teams, whereas the other divisions have eight. So they hardly have a disadvantage, but they still have more than a quarter of the top 100 in the leaderboard. Uh, the other thing to note, which is on the reverse end of things, which is kind of interesting, is the fact that their goaltending um, hasn't been as uh, good. Um, where there's only about two player, uh, two goalies, I guess three if you count Laurent Persuas, um, but he, uh, there's only two goalies that have been a really, um, really good, um, in like, you know, um, if you count that they've played more than 10 games, um, or I guess nine games, if you count Jake Allen, um, oh, I guess J uh, Jack Campbell's also in here, but he's only played three games here. But anyways, uh, Mike Smith, uh, he has a 925 save percentage. You also have, uh, uh, as I mentioned, uh, Mike Smith and Jake Allen, um, who has a 921 save percentage. And then if you go down the list, you have Thatcher Demko, who has a 913. Connor Hellebuck, who has a 911. Then it gets really crazy because then you have Jacob Markstrom, who has a 909. Um, Eric Comrie, who has a 909, although he's only played one game. Freddie Anderson has a 906. Uh, uh, I ha David Riddick has a 904. Then you have sub 900 player uh, goalies with or in save percentage. You have uh, Carey Price, Miko Koskinen. Um, there's another one too, Braden, uh, Braden Holpe. Um, so yeah, I could go down the list, and then you have Matt Murray um, as well. So. So yeah, the the idea like that you have at least like three t players where their starting goaltender is, has a sub nine hundred uh, goal t uh, save percentage, which is kind of crazy. Um, yeah, so the Canadian division is absolutely nuts. Um, yeah, and what's your take on it? I guess first before we get into the coaching firing. Yeah, so I was I actually. Um got uh, some some stats of my own about um the north division um and i would describe it as entertaining and very unpredictable um these are stats from dating back to sunday february 21st and i was thinking of updating them but i figured i would leave them as is to give you a sense of before montreal and the other team that we're going to talk about calgary and the changes that they've made, I figure it was important to keep an perspective of how things were at the time before these changes were made. So I kept them as is. So at the time of Sunday, February 21st, in terms of the top 10 NHL teams, you had Toronto at one, Edmonton at four, Winnipeg at nine. Um, this is out of the entire league, okay? And then top 10 goals scored, you have five Canadian teams there, Edmonton, being um, the first, Toronto being second, Vancouver being third. So top three 
and goals scored were Canadian teams. You look at goals against, not surprised, a lot of Canadian teams here, Ottawa being at one. Vancouver was also second, which is not good. Uh, and then you also had uh, Edmonton and Calgary in there. In terms of top 10 shots per game, Ottawa surprisingly at fourth out of 31 teams. Pretty good. That's more than Vancouver. That's more than Edmonton, who are also in the top 10. Not as much as Montreal, though, who are first. And in terms of shots against per game, you had four Canadian teams there. The Sens, not surprisingly, being one of them. Vancouver was at the top of that list. They had the third most shots against per game. Um, and then... I was taking a look at special teams and how that stacked up. Oddly enough, even though Vancouver has the most shorthanded chances against, their PK percentage was the best out of all Canadian teams. They were actually in a top 10 spot, and they were 10th on the nose. Um, so Vancouver's penalty kills at least done well, although that was two weeks ago. That that could have changed. But as yeah. of two weeks ago, they were they were doing their job. Their, their penalty killers, uh, Demko in particular as well, we're, we're both playing pretty well. And we were looking at all the offensive numbers and thinking, well, surely then we should have a lot of teams that are killing it on the power play in, in this division. Only Toronto and Edmonton are in the top 10. Toronto being first, Edmonton being ninth. So a lot of the Canadian teams were doing average to not good at all on the power play, which is interesting. Um, and you look at the top 10 power play chances, Vancouver was first, Edmonton was second, Calgary was third, Ottawa was fourth. So all four of those teams represented top four power, uh, top 10 power play chances during the league. Um, so there, there's definitely a lot of Canadian teams that know how to get power play chances. It's just about converting. Right. And I think part of it is how the offense is structured because, of course, Toronto and Edmonton, they have a lot of top six weapons i don't know you probably heard of a few of them yep. um this is the most stunning stat here top 10 giveaways as of two weeks ago every single canadian team was in the top 10 toronto yeah. was first edmonton second ottawa third calgary fourth vancouver sixth montreal seventh winnipeg eighth all seven teams in this division were in top 10 giveaways which goes to show you how porous, I would say, most of their defenses are. Like, it's one thing to force takeaways. You can you can generate hits and block shots and all that. But giveaways basically give the other team a chance to burn you. And the Canadian teams have done a lot of that. They've given the opposition a lot of ammo to work with in that regard. And that has allowed for some very high scoring games, but it's also allowed for some very entertaining close games. Um, as of two weeks ago, and this number has obviously gone up since, there were 26 one-goal games in the North Division and 10 have yep. gone to overtime. Toronto back then had a 6-1-2 and two record. That was the best overtime record in this division. Even Ottawa was doing pretty well. They were 4-4-1 four, four, and one in, uh, in, in, uh, in one goal uh, in, in one goal games. Um, so the way I look at it is the Canadian division is this wild and crazy and unpredictable because it's, it's just so free-flowing. There's not, 
I don't feel there's as much structure. Like even with Winnipeg, they're relying on their goalie. Right. Um, Toronto's relying on their goaltending less, but they're still kind of relying on their goaltending. Edmonton, they're kind of relying on their goaltending at times, if not their offense, to get the job done. Uh, Calgary, it's the same thing. Montreal, it's the same thing, even though they continue to generate chances. And and Claude Julien's second-to-last game with the Habs, like I said last week, they gave up five or six breakaways. He, He can't do that on a nightly basis. So that kind of gives you a backstory as to why things are so crazy in the Canadian division right now yeah. and why we're seeing so many changes. Yeah, we're well, we have that as a question already. Um, but, yeah, it is kind of crazy. When you think about it before the year, you kind of figured, okay, Toronto and Edmonton will probably lead the, 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 the division because, you know, they have guys like Matthews, Marner, uh, Nylander, T- Tavares, and then you have McDavid and Dreisaitl, um, and Ryan Nugent like, Hopkins. Like, e- like yeah. even Brady Kachuk, he leads the league in shots on goal. Who yeah. saw that coming? Right, and like, but like the thing is, is like the the weaknesses of both the top teams in the North Division is the fact that they have high skill guys, but their defense and their goaltending isn't great, um, and that's that's always been their kryptonite for the last couple of years. Um, and it's big, big reason why they've always choked in the playoffs is because their goaltending can't be relied on. Um, and like, you know, Winnipeg, you, you felt like kind of a similar thing. They, um, they have great forwards. Um, and then they, but like, they happen to have a really good goalie as well, but their defense has struggled because they, you know, they don't have Buffalo and they don't have Pionk. Oh, they, they do have Pionk. Sorry. They don't have Truba. Um, and all that stuff, but, um, so you're like, okay, Winnipeg's probably in the mix, then you have Montreal, uh, Vancouver, which is kind of surprising that they've dipped, because I thought Braden Holpe would be a little bit better, I wasn't sold on Demko, but it looks like he's the real deal, but, you know, they have a similar issue, and a big reason why they, uh, were eliminated in the playoffs, in the bubble, was because, uh, you know, they, um, their defense wasn't as good as Vegas's was. So it's, um, yeah, it's definitely an interesting development where all these teams are very similarly matched, um, except for Ottawa, of course, because, uh, but, you know, they're, they're growing. Um, they're at least, you know, in it every now and then, um, which is funny because what happened on Thursday was Ottawa, um, Beat the Calgary Flames seven to four or something like that. Um, and the next thing we know, um, oh no no, no sorry no, 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 you're no, right yeah no, yeah you're no, right the, no, no, they I lost should... yeah they no. lost to Calgary. They lost uh, to Calgary seven, seven to, to three. Three, which three. Goes to show you yep. the power of the Ottawa Senators. Right. Even when you beat them by four goals, yep, you lose your job. Right. <laughs> It's and, just not good enough. Right, right, right. You need, so, you need to beat them by six goals or something to exactly. keep your job. So, uh, Jeff Ward, um, uh, I mean, I guess <laughs> I guess we. this is like the episode where we're, <laughs> we get too excited and we don't explain the news. Uh, Jeff Ward, the he was the head coach of the Calgary Flames. He gets fired right after the game, even though they beat the Senators 7-3. to which is funny because that's what happened with uh, Claude Julien um, um, a couple of 
weeks ago, although I guess the Senators yeah, did except, beat them. Yeah, except that was back-to-back losses. Exactly. Although it should be noted that conversations for a replacement right. happened two to three days prior, which was a 5-1 to one loss to the Sens. Yep. And there were a couple of big losses to the Sens in Ottawa. So it was technically after a loss yep. to Ottawa where his fate was sealed. And also, like, but, yeah. yeah, it wasn't just the 5-1. to one. There was, like, you know, two games prior – the uh, Senators had beat the Flames 6-1 to one as well. So, yeah. Mm, and they relied I, yeah. on, like, David Riddick and Toronto to get, right. like, three of a possible four points. And there so was, the Flames yeah. were trending downward. Exactly. Like the were. And there was, there was rumblings that the Calgary Flames would, uh, would fire their coach after those two games. So, technically, yeah. the Ottawa Senators have fired two coaches, um, and they haven't fired DJ Smith yet. So, um, yeah. that's... In fact, I think he's the third longest tenured coach in the division now. That's, yeah, I guess so. That's insane. Which which is hilarious. Right, yeah, I guess that's that's true. Right, because Babcock's out since that happened. Yeah, Yeah. I think Tippett was hired before, after G. Yeah, I was going to ask if that mentioned. What about Travis Green? I guess Travis Green was before. Or around the same time. Travis Green was hired before DJ Smith yeah, was. Yeah. So I think Travis Green, Paul and Maurice has Paul been Maurice. there in Winnipeg for quite some yep. time. So he's probably at the top. Speaking of Paul Maurice, he said that um, he said before the season that he he thinks that four coaches are going to get fired in the Canadian division because and there's going to be. There now. Yeah, and we're halfway there yet. And he could be one of them, as well as the fact that because he was mentioning the fact that there's so much more scrutiny. Um, in, can- in the Canadian division compared to all the other divisions, which is true because Canada cares more about hockey than the Americans do. And you have just a team, like a whole division that's just the Canadian country um, in it. So that's that's probably another reason why they're firing the coaches and you don't see, like Ralph Kruger somehow has a job. Jeff Blaschel <laughs> somehow has a job. So yeah, so, yeah, so I think... There is also, we should mention that too, is that there is more pressure for Canadian teams, especially since they're all in the same division now, um, as opposed mm. to all the other teams. And, you know, you notice it more because they're all in the same division. But um, I thought that was an interesting development too. But yeah, I think just to go to this Jeff Ward coaching firing here, um, I think it is like, I, I, I guess it. It's interesting, too, because we were mentioning all these other teams that had, um, you know, that they don't have as good of a defense um, as they do their offense. Whereas Calgary actually has a pretty good defense and goaltending. Um, They're, you know, Mark Giordano is like one of the most consistent uh, defensemen in the league. Um, Noah Hannafin is kind of underrated for his defensive abilities. Um, So they're still... um, you know, and uh, Yuso Valamaki um, has kind of come into his own recently. I mean, stuff. So, like, I think they are. And, you know, Jacob Markstrom, who they took from Vancouver, he's been pretty good. He's been better than um, what they had before with Cam Talbot um, and David Riddick. But, you know, he's been decent too. So, it is like, they are different from all the other teams because. They don't really rely, like, they do rely on their goaltender, but their goaltender is pretty good. Um, so so that's the interesting part. Of course, there's, you know, they're sixth in the division now, so so maybe that's part of it. And 
Um, I know like Johnny Gaudreau and Sean, Sean Monaghan have kind of underperformed compared to what they were a couple of years ago. Um, but they're still like decent. Like Johnny Gaudreau has 22 points in 25 games. Matthew Kachuk has 19 points in 25 games. Sean Monaghan has 18 points in 23 games. So that's, you know, they're still performing. They're not like Buffalo. So I guess no team is like Buffalo, but <laughs> you get what I mean. Like their stars are still <laughs> I at least. I think a lot of teams yeah. are glad they're not Buffalo. Yeah. True, true, exactly. <laughs> so like uh, at least they're performing though. But I, I guess I can understand why they're, uh, they fired the coach. And especially for someone like Daryl Sutter, who, um, who has won two, two cups relatively recently. Of course it was like nine years ago. So it may be like, yeah, like recently. Yeah. So it's, um, somewhat recently. I won't say it's super recent, but, um, yeah. So I think that's an interesting development where you have Daryl Sutter come back and, um, and do this for you. So it, it is interesting to have him back and I'm curious to see how he does long-term I guess he has to quarantine a little bit longer before he actually takes hold, um, which I find interesting just from this whole thing. Um, and maybe that is the reason why Ralph Kruger still has a job. But, um, like, you know, you just have to get, like, you know, coaches quarantined and all that stuff. So, um, so yeah, that's the... I'm, I'm curious to see how that plays out because... Daryl Sutter is kind of known for being the defensive-minded coach, um, and I'm wondering that since he has to, he has to take a while before he becomes acclimated um, in Calgary, I wonder. I feel like it might be too late uh, once he's able to coach. So, um, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen with Calgary, but maybe they'll make the playoffs. We'll see. And. Um, and once they make the playoffs, then it could be like the run that the Kings had in 2012, uh, where they came in as an eighth seed and uh, just uh, uh, took notice and finally came together. But yeah, it could be a, a good thing for them. And also the fact like Johnny Gaudreau might leave uh, this offseason. I think he's a free agent. Um, so he, there's been rumors that he's going back to his hometown team. Um, in Philly, or his, I guess he's from New Jersey, but um, he grew up as a Flyers fan, so that's been the rumor for the last couple of years, so maybe that is part of the reason why Calgary is underperforming, but I don't know, I think it could work. I guess it's better than doing what Buffalo is doing. Yeah, so just taking a look at um, the Calgary Flames uh, cap-friendly page, um, um, but... Um, yeah, like here, here's the thing with the Calgary Flames is they're better than a 500 team, and I yep. think everybody knows that. And you look at all of the talent to, that they have going with them. Johnny Gaudreau has two years left, by the way, oh, before he bad. becomes a free agent in 2022-23. But there's been there's been trade rumors surrounding him and Sean Monaghan, yep. whether or not he's the type of guy that uh, can get results uh, for the Calgary Flames, which I think is is part of the conversation uh, at play here. Um, and at the same time, Goudreau is going to be a UFA. You have Matthew Kachuk, who will be an RFA. Right. And the Monaghan's a year after um, 
Johnny Gaudreau, uh, he'll be a UFA. Uh, fortunately, so will Milan Lucic, so at least okay. they get that contract off the books. But you, you have I a see. lot of... I don't want to call it dead weight, but you have a lot of problems to address in Calgary. Um, how to utilize the bottom six forwards, uh, how to make sure the top line is producing consistently, but also defensively responsible. Um, and I think definitely the performance of Gaudreau and Monaghan in that regard is going to be key to that. Uh, Milan Lucic had his best Corsi season in his one year in Los Angeles. And who was the coach of that team? Daryl yep. Sutter. So they're hoping that Daryl Sutter maybe can solve the problem uh, that's ailing Milan Lucic, and maybe uh, he can be like a decent point scorer, like forty to fifty points even. Yeah. Uh, you look at Sam Bennett, who's been in the doghouse lately. How can they get him going? Right. And the hope is that they can get him going, and they don't have to trade him because he's not doing the job enough. Because although supposedly he was, Sam uh, Bennett he, wants he was out, the top ten picks. So. Yeah. Although supposedly Sam Bennett wants out, so it might just be he wants to go to another team. But maybe that's a motivation for him to get out of Calgary. <laughs> so you can, yeah, yeah. So we'll see. when you look at the with the Calgary Flames as a whole as a unit, I think they're like I said, they're better than what their record indicates, and. It's not just about making the playoffs here. I feel this is a similar situation with Montreal where Brad Living, who's got a couple more years on his contract, has given Daryl Sutter an additional two years plus this one. So it isn't this isn't some sort of like, ah, we'll just plug him in for the rest of the year. We'll see how it goes. Daryl Sutter's their guy for the next two plus years now. Right. And they're serious about this. They're ready to win. And when Daryl Sutter was here, Back in the day when Jerome McGinley was like in his prime and their captain, Amiko Kippersov, when his was in his prime and arguably the best goalie in the league, the Calgary Flames were regularly making the playoffs and they were a threat. And they've kind of been inconsistent. They've been very good one year and then underwhelming in the playoffs the next year, teetering on the edge of missing the playoffs slash in the playoffs. They want more consistent winning from this group. And there, there's no doubt in my mind that they're certainly capable of doing that. But it, it is a bit concerning where you remove the interim take from Jeff Ford, thinking he can get the job done, and you still see the same problems developing. And Brad Living says he feels that this Flames team needs Daryl Sutter. They need a no-nonsense approach, a clear path, a clear objective in mind. They're a team that needs to get down to business and start winning because they can, but they haven't. They've been underperforming. They have been for, I think, the past couple of years, not just this year. Right. Like that's that series against Colorado. I don't care how good Colorado was. Calgary was first in their division. They had the firepower to take down the ass. Johnny Gaudreau was having an amazing and they were just constantly relying on Mike Smith to get them out of tough situations. They weren't playing their game. They weren't dominant. And Colorado at times was really taking the play to them. And that's definitely concerning if you're the Calgary yep. Flames. And some of those problems haven't been fixed yet. So Daryl Sutter is going to need to go in there and fix those problems. And I think this year, when you look at the grand scheme of things, 
I don't look at it and say, oh, well, Jeff Ward wasn't good enough to coach the Calgary Flames or, oh, Claude Julien wasn't good enough to coach the Montreal Canadiens. Right. I think it's more of a situation that you look at the, that you look at the standings right now. You're in a 17 Canadian division. Four of these teams are going to make the playoffs. One of those teams is guaranteed to make the final four. This is the best chance for a Canadian team in years to win the Stanley Cup. You have a one in four chance if you're that one team yep. to win the whole darn thing this year. And Brad Treliving has the mind that his team can be good enough to be that one team. And he's not going to wait for Jeff Ward to make those changes if he thinks Daryl Sutter can do the job. The problem with Daryl Sutter is he hasn't coached a game since 2017. Right. His Stanley Cup win with the Kings, his latest one was 2014. And we've seen... Ken Hitchcock coaching the Oilers and it not going so well. True. And there's the question of, has the game passed Daryl Sutter by? And that's the risky play, especially when you have a coach like Gerard Gallant, still out there, by the way. True. And you hire Daryl Sutter instead of someone that's very recently coached in the NHL and had results with other teams. He must be pretty darn sure that Daryl Sutter can get the job done. And if Brad Living's not, He's going to be out the door as well. Yeah, it's, it seems like it's kind of a similar situation to Montreal where, like, this this could be, like, the last shot for the GM to get it to work. It is. Yeah. Like, this is his yeah. fifth coach and his fourth in five years. Yep. Like, like people think Bergevin is walking on eggshells after making two coaching changes. Treliving must be walking on hot coals. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, so, uh, I guess going back to this Canadian division, uh, stuff, uh, let's go with our first question here. And I guess we kind of touched upon it before, but why do we think the Canadian division is so crazy? Um, and I, I guess, as I mentioned before, I think when you look at all the seven teams here, you have teams like Toronto and Edmonton who have like elite, uh, forwards, um, and okay defensemen, and then not that good goaltending. Um, and that, you know, and those are your two best teams in the league. Um, so they're, they're like, you have flawed teams across the board. Uh, Winnipeg has classically hasn't had good defense for the past two years. Um, although I guess they're getting better this year, which is interesting, a development there. Montreal, um, as we talked about last week, uh, they're, you know, they don't have, Carey Price hasn't been as good for a long time, and that's definitely hurting their whole team. Not to mention their forward group hasn't been up to snuff, even like get compared to every other team in, um, in the whole league, not just the division. Um, although I guess Toffoli and Josh Anderson have been pretty good um, when they're healthy. Uh, for Josh Anderson's case. Calgary Flames are an interesting team because they're still, you know, I guess their forwards could be better, uh, but they do have good goaltending and defense, so they're kind of like the outlier in that sense. Vancouver um, has Pedersen Besser. They also have Quinn Hughes, but he's Quinn Hughes is not as good defensively. They still have some issues, defensively speaking. Um, and their goaltending... Is getting better, but it's still not great. Um, although I, I do like the development of having Thatcher Demko there. 
I know that Pedersen's injured for, or he hasn't played the last two games, so that's going to hurt them long, um, you know, for the season. But um, and then you have a lot of Senators who, uh, yeah, they are, you know, they're not expected to make the playoffs this year, um, and Matt Murray hasn't been as good as we thought that he would be, and same with Dadanoff. But you know, you also have Brady Kachuk to look forward to. You have Drake Batherson. Um, who's picked? Who's having like a breakout rookie season right now? Um, and you know, you also have Joshua Norris, who's had his moments and all that stuff. So I think like when you look at all these seven teams, none of them are f- like perfect teams. Uh, none of them. I feel like if you match them up with Tampa, your Vegas's, your Colorados, your Boston's, your Washingtons. Um, you know, I feel like they are going to not do as well um, when you stack them up uh, once they get into the top four, which we'll get into in a second. But, um, yeah, I, I feel like because they're all flawed, this is what ha- this is the result of what happens when, you know, you add all these flawed teams into one division like this. Yeah, and, and you just take a look at a lot of the offensive play plays, like top 20 scorers uh, yep. in terms of points, top 20 goal scorers, assist getters, shots on goal leaders, missed shot leaders, even uh, time on ice leaders. You're going to see in a lot of those areas where like 40, 50, 60% of the people there are playing in the Canadian division. Um and you look at guys like Darnell Nurse and Thomas Shabbat, Morgan Riley, Shea Weber even, they've logged a lot of minutes on the back end. Um, in terms of forwards, you have guys like Martin McDavid, Dreisaitl, Shifley, Matthews, right. even guys like Ryan Nugent Hopkins, guys like Elias Lindholm, who have quietly racked up a lot of time on ice for forwards. And rookie scores, you mentioned Norris and Stutzla, and of course Batherson, um, in terms of top 10 rookie scores prior to Batherson's goal streak, he wasn't on this list, but Josh Norris was second. Stutzla was fifth and Niels Hoglander, the Canucks was sixth. So that's three of the top 10 rookie scores from the Canadian division. That's before again, Batherson went on that six game goal streak. So he's probably in there now too. And like when you even have like the rookies making noise in the Canadian division and like really standing on top of the league and in their, in their field, right. it, it just adds to the pure chaos and excitement this division provides. Yep. And it, and it all goes back to, again, giveaways, takeaways, drawing penalties. You have guys like Brady Kachuk that are very good at drawing penalties, mm-hmm. making hits. Guys like Matthew Kachuk as well. Connor McDavid with his speed. Elias Peterson with his speed and deceptiveness. Ehlers with that shot. Uh, yep. Hoglander and the tools that he provides. Like I said, it you have a collection of guys like Gallagher and Kachuk that can piss you off in front of the net and goat you into those penalties. Or guys, speedsters like Drake Batherson and, and and a lot of young skilled forwards that thrive on speed, that can really make you look silly. Yep. I I just feel that perfect mix of talent and uh, truculence, for lack of a better word. Thank you, Brian Burke, for that. Um, I feel that has contributed a lot to 
the kind of play that we're seeing. And it makes the division so crazy, but it doesn't give you a good enough measuring stick, as we'll get into later, of the teams are going to have to go through. Like, what happens for that one Canadian team when they reach that Final Four? You don't know how you're going to stack up against everybody else, as we said before, because all you've played against is teams from the Canadian division. Right. And I don't think the Canadian division is a good memory, a good measuring stick of the rest of the league as a whole and what you have to go up against. Yeah. Also, I should mention like, you know, you're, you're mentioning like the forward groups and we've also all been mentioning the forward groups. I also want to take some time to talk about the defensemen here. Uh, Quinn Hughes, Jeff Petrie, both have 22 points. That's, uh, two and three um, in defenseman points right now. You also have Morgan Riley, Tyson Berry, who are six and seven in, in that category. Neil Pionk also there, too. Um, and then you have Thomas Shabbat, um, who's in 13th. So, like, it's not just the forwards groups as well. It's it's also, like, those defensemen, too, are making some noise as well. It's, um, you know, you only... It's basically, when you look at the defensive standings, it's pretty much... Uh, Victor Hedman, Drew Doughty, John Carlson, um, and Jake, Jacob Trickerin, Aaron Ekblad, and Charlie McAvoy. Oh, and Sam Gerrard, who's somehow on here, uh, are all like, you know, all the, everyone except those guys are all in the Canadian division. So that's also interesting, too, where like even the defensemen are contributing offensively um, in the division. So that's an interesting thing as well. Um, so what will be the top four, uh, of the Canadian division? Who, who do we have now that we've had a couple of, uh, like games under our belt and we've seen a couple of them overall, um, what would be your top four? I think Toronto, Edmonton, and Winnipeg have a pretty good stronghold on the entire division. Um, they're all like. They all have 30 points at this point, so I think the, they're pretty safe, I guess. Um, and I don't see that changing much, but I think the fourth spot is interesting because it could be Montreal, it could be Calgary, or it could be Vancouver. Um, I'm going to say that I think it's going to be Calgary, um, but I would also wouldn't be surprised if Vancouver uh, figures things out or Montreal um, figures things out. So I'm going to say Calgary, but I'm not like a hundred percent on that. Interesting how you mentioned Montreal is the last of the teams there. Well, um, I, I mean, I know but, that they're currently in fourth. I just, I don't still don't buy the fact that Carrie, I don't think Carrie price will ever be the same. So I, that's why I mostly say that, but I, I, Again, I'm not surprised that Montreal. It's not. I maybe it's a little biased, but not. Yeah, super. mostly because you hate that. No, no, it's not. I, I just don't. I, I whatever. Fine, fine, whatever. <laughs> I mean, if you don't cheer for Kofi Caulfield because he's on the house, that's all you need to know. That's um, true. That's true. In terms of yeah, I think you got the order kind of right for sure. Toronto's at the top. I mm-hmm. think in terms of depth, this is the best team. I that's been iced by the Maple Leafs that I've seen in a very long time. Yeah. Uh, Edmonton, if, if McDavid and Drysdale carry the team, maybe they finish second. I'm leaning towards Winnipeg in that regard, but Edmonton's still a top three team. In terms of the fourth team, it's probably a mix up between 
Calgary, Montreal, and Vancouver. You can forget about Ottawa. They won't be in it. They'll be entertained to watch, but they won't be in it. Um, I think for the most part, it should be Calgary because I think they have the most well-rounded team, Montreal. You can't count them out. They're definitely going to make it close. Vancouver, I think the hole they've dug themselves in and just the inconsistencies with their game, I think it might be too much for them to overcome. So I would still consider Calgary as a top-four team. But even then, with Calgary as a top-four team, you you still are going to be going up against, I think you're going to be going up against like the top Toronto. team if you're fourth, which yep. would be Toronto. And yep. I don't think Big Save Dave could pull rabbits out of his hat like he was in that Toronto series for a seven-game run. But Jacob so Markstrom, I don't know right? how they would stack up with Toronto unless they dramatically change their game and how they're able to approach a lot of the top dogs in this division. So that, well, that's, well, that's going to be tough there. Wait a second. You said Big Save Dave. It's Markstrom's their starting goaltender. It's not David Well, Dave. yeah. No, but Big Save Dave looked like a Vezina caliber goaltender in that against the Ottawa against the Ottawa Senators I think big save Dave is David Riddick of course that's they call him in Calgary big save Dave um I think him and Markstrom are gonna need to develop a solid tandem like Markstrom and Demko um established last year right because that's the only way the Flames are gonna be good I think you need to manage Markstrom's minutes I think he could be a solid 1a goalie for you but David that, Riddick like needs he... to step up and be there and be that secondary guy in order for this to go well. Because if Markstrom does falter, um, the reason why the Flames weren't able to take that next step um, last year is because, in particular in the bubble, they relied so much on Cam Talbot. And when David Riddick entered the picture, it did not go well. So they need both goalies on their I, I, I feel like Markstrom's better than you give him credit for. Uh, I think he will, like, in a, especially in a playoff series, I don't think they're going to do, like, a tandem type thing because then you're just messing with someone's momentum. But I think once, like, Markstrom gets going, then it's like he's one of the best in the league. So I think what they really need to do is just get Markstrom going. Um and like you know, and see what you have with David Riddick eventually, so you don't tire Markstrom out. But I, I, I feel like you should. It's time to start relying on Markstrom because he seems to be the goalie to, to go to. Um. So I, wait. So I guess you are also kind of in the same. We both said Calgary as the fourth team. Yeah, I, I think Calgary has what it takes to be that fourth team, no oh, question okay. about it. Well, the fact that you were they... you were messing with me on Montreal, I thought you were that meant that you were going to pick Montreal fourth, and then you, you you didn't pick Montreal fourth. How far the Flames can go with that number four team is True. the question I think a lot yeah. of us are wondering. Because it's one thing to be a week four team as opposed to a solid fair, four fair. team. If they're the week four team, the East, the the Maple Leafs are going to eat them alive in yep. a seven game series. Yeah, I agree with that. Or Edmonton, whoever it is. Um, yeah, whoever. It is. When uh, so uh, we kind of alluded to this as well um, previously, but when they do get to the uh, the top four or the quarterfinals, where they face off against other teams outside of the division. How do we? It'll think... be the semi. It'll be the semifinals, but yeah. 
Uh, the, oh yeah, you're right. Semifinals. I wrote quarterfinals in my notes. Quarterfinals at the beginning. Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, semifinals. That's where the real work starts. Yeah, no, you're you're right. Uh, good correction there. Um, how do we think the winner of the Canadian division will stack up against the other three divisions? Um, I guess it also, I mean, depends on what team they face off against in those uh, yeah. potential two matchups. You know, in the Stanley Cup and the semifinals. But, like, if they're going to face off against Tampa, uh, the Islanders, the Bruins, the Capitals, or even the Flyers, so any team in the East, uh, Vegas, uh, Colorado, they're going to have some issues because those teams at least have good defense um, and are able to figure things out. Carolina as well. They might have a chance against, like, you know, Chicago, or they might have a chance against, yeah, against Philly as well, but... Um, or Minnesota or St. Louis or something, but, um, but yeah, the, actually, I guess St. Louis is all, will probably give them fits, but, um, yeah, I think, I think ultimately, even though they're like top of the points race and all that stuff, I think all the, whatever team it is, they're all kind of flawed. Um, other, I guess you're right though, that Toronto has looked really, really good despite playing, like, teams that are kind of flawed in their own way as well. Um, but I think they're, you know, it's Toronto in the playoffs. <laughs> I can't I can't 100% say that they're going to make it to the Stanley Cup Finals um, because it's Toronto. You just know that if Toronto actually yep. becomes that team, they're going to face off against Tampa or Boston right, right, because right. life is unfair. Yep. <laughs> no, no, that's definitely possible. It's true. It's like Toronto's like, we finally are in a division that doesn't have Boston or Tampa. And they finally make it to the semifinals, and then they're like, oh, shit, we have to play Tampa. Yeah, or we have to play like, Boston. Oh. Fuck, all right. <laughs> I, I guess I guess we gotta play these guys. Right, right, right. It's, it's <laughs> so, it'll be fitting. I mean, if you think about it, like you know, the two thousand four Red Sox had to play the Yankees before they went to the won the World Series. So yeah, you always have to face you, your you, demons. You, yeah, you have to you have to face your maker at at some point. Yep. And and if you're really destined to become champions, you have to go through them, just like Washington. Did with Tampa in 2018, just like, um, well, for 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 lack of a of a better example, um, you know, Dallas to get to the finals, they had to get through Vegas, and they were a right. very well assembled team then. Um, so I, I do think matchups are important. Uh, Vegas and Colorado would definitely give Calgary fits for sure. I think they could beat St. Louis though. I don't know if St. Louis is that good of a team as people give them credit for. Um, they might be good, but I don't know if they're Stanley Cup Finals material that good. Um, I I don't know if 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 the dynamics would would work out well because what what happens if if the Canadian team in question is an Eastern Conference team because because sure. that's the other thing. There are some divisions. Um, well, th- there are two divisions in particular. There's the Central, which is which is a mix, mat- which is a mix up of like yeah, uh, which is a mix up of the Florida teams 
And then you also have uh, Columbus and Carolina. Right. And then you have a couple of the Western Conference teams. And then you've got a mixture of Eastern and Western teams in the Canadian division. I'm interested to see how things are going to align once we do have that teams. Because there's a possibility we could have three Eastern Conference teams out of the four. Or we True. could have three Western Conference teams out of the four. It might not be a 2-2 two, two even split. Right. Good so I, I don't know what's going to happen from that point on. We still don't know. Um, so I, I think it's too soon to really tell, uh, how they're going to stack up because we don't know what they play. Um, that would be the safer answer in terms of like an actual answer I could give. I think they're going to go up against a team that in all likelihood actually has a defensive structure and all they are going to have to rely on is video of, games that those teams have played throughout the course of the year and how other teams played against them and how well they did slash didn't do against that system and finding weak uh, weak points in their game. And this Canadian team, this mystery Canadian team who's representing the North Division in the conference finals or the final four, whatever they call it, that team is going to have to adapt quickly. Because if you make some mistakes and they cost you and you need to adapt to some of the changes that the other team has made, you have got probably like about a game to do so. Like if you lose game one, you've got to win game two or you're down to nothing and there's really little room for error. So it could it could be a situation where the Canadian team's back is against the wall almost instantaneously if they don't adapt fast enough. So they really need to be good at adapting. They need to be good at learning different structures. And I think part of that is to have some good uh, – is to work against defending those type of structures in team practice. Because it, it I don't know if there is a situation where – a Canadian team is going to go up against a team with a defensive structure like this is the type of defensive structure we're going to be seeing in the playoffs if we're that Canadian team and we make it to the Final Four. I don't really know if there's a team with that much structure that you can look to the Canadian division and say, man, the the other teams that they're going to go up against in the conference finals are going to have a real problem containing this structure. This structure is way too good. Nothing of that nature strikes me in the Canadian division. So it's going to be interesting how they handle all those dynamics. Yeah, I guess you're right that it is too early to tell. But I guess I mostly pose this question just to show, like, if if there, like, whatever team this Canadian team, mystery team, uh, plays against, they're going to have to deal with, like, a defensive oriented, um, or, you know, they're going to have a defensive structure that they didn't have the benefit of facing off for the last three months or so. So I think it's um, it'll be an interesting dynamic to see how that particular series goes in a seven-game series. But I will say that, like, if you take history, for example, of, like, you know, of what happens in the past, that usually teams that are more defensive-oriented um, or play, like, a two-way game like that have had more success in the playoffs. So, um, or like it usually runs out eventually. So it really will depend on um, how much 
uh, effort they will get once they get there. Um, yeah, so it's, it's definitely a interesting thought experiment, and we'll see how it goes until um, it happens. So, yeah, that's about it. Um, you can, our iTunes is uh, Lace Them Up. Our, face, our Spotify is Lace Them Up as well. Follow us and subscribe there. Write a review. Uh, please write a good one, too. Um, and uh, you can also listen to us on SoundCloud as well and uh, follow us there. Um, our Twitter is Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace Them Up. That's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 260 of the Lace Them Up Podcast.